place to take notes in your pocket on the next page after if you want to take notes and follow along, if you just want to listen, chill, you can do that as well. Well, I think this study might surprise you. Um, you're probably familiar with aspects of it already. The account of Moses crossing the Red Sea, uh, the Ten Commandments, maybe you've seen the movie, Charlton Heston. I'm not sure how they recorded it back then, but um, maybe you saw Prince of Egypt and all that. They, um, they have a, do a good job of bringing everything to life for us and helping us to see and, and bring our imaginations, um, what it might have felt like to experience all those incredible moments. But there's so much more. <laughs> there's a lot more, right? So in this study, we're going to dwell together through what we'll call the rest of the Torah. Uh, there's five books of Moses um, called the Torah. And our previous study, Genesis Lost and Found, how many of you were here for that, that study, which was wonderful? Uh, we studied Moses' account, taking us, of course, from creation all the way through to the end of life of Moses, uh, Moses, the end of life of Joseph. And, it, you know, it's neat right now because in church on Sundays, we're going through the life of, of Joseph. And uh, we're going to close that chapter in a little bit. And we're already ready and kind of picking up uh, where we're going to leave off on Sundays. So I encourage you to not only listen to the Sunday messages, but maybe go back to the last message of the Genesis study. You can get that over on the, on the YouTube channel and listen to that. I think that'll give you a running start also to all of this. Um, so God's family is in Egypt where we, we left them. And um, they're away at this point from the land of promise. Um, but through the books that we're going to cover right now, verse by verse, we're going to see this amazing, this miraculous journey of God's people from Egypt back to the promised land. So our journey is going to take us through some familiar passages, things you are probably already maybe have read before, maybe even memorized. Um, we're going to go through a lot of passages, entire books. Um, Honestly, books that a lot of people might just skip over. Um, not many people are top of their list of devotional books, Leviticus or Numbers, right? Uh, maybe Deuteronomy. Um, but as we study, I know that you are going to be encouraged. You've already found that in your groups tonight, the laughter and the encouragement and just hearing from one another. I know you're going to be challenged in a good way, and I know that you're going to be convicted. I know that because I've been working on this for the last three months, and all of these things have happened to me, and so I just like, oh, I keep on thinking about it as we're going to move forward in this. Um, we're going to see ourselves, and again, I say this because I have been there. We're going to see ourselves in the rebellious people. We're going to see ourselves in the hard-heartedness. We're going to see ourselves even in the exasperated Moses. Um, we're going to find practical, practical ideas for dealing with difficult people, which I'm sure none of you have in any of those in your life. So maybe you could just pass those tips on to others, right? Um, we're going to get some ideas for dealing with devastating moments, even in our own lives, and we're going to see God a lot more clearly. And um, I really do believe that we're going to grow in our awe and our respect for God incredibly. So welcome to session one of the new study, Saved and Set Apart, through the rest of the Torah. Genesis Lost and Found, written by Moses. Those are the study we learned words like Torah. We learned words like Pentateuch. And my heart in this message here tonight is to invite you to love the word. This is an invitation for you tonight to shift from a mindset of doing Bible study 
and embrace the idea of really loving God's word. And I know you ladies, I'm already talking to women who do that. You love God's word. I've seen it in your own life. And I love that we come together and do that well together. In fact, our central verse of this entire study is gonna help us to do that from the very opening day to the end of the study, which is gonna be next year in April. It's based on the most important Bible verse in all of scripture. It's based on a verse that shaped the identity of God's people for over 3,000 years, and it shapes our faith to this very day. We are defined essentially by this particular verse. It makes all the difference in how you live your life. All of your relationships shift with this verse. Everything will change if we get this right. In fact, if we're hurting, if we're struggling, if we have loss, if we have anxiety, if you're dealing with doubt, when we're in that waiting, we're in that hoping time, maybe worried even about tomorrow. And I know even in your groups right now, some of you were able to share the season that you're in with difficulty and what's going on. This is the verse that we can return to. There's no other verse more important, and that says a lot considering the big ones like John 3.16 mm -hmm. <laughs> or Philippians 4.13. And Jesus referred to this verse as the greatest command. So maybe now you know what I'm going to be talking about. And it's here that we're going to begin this study, our focus verse. Hear, O Israel. Now, I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I want, as we go through this verse together, I want you to begin to embrace the fun, the creativity, the challenge of learning this verse not only in English, but in Hebrew. Oh, wow. So as we read it in English, we read a course from left to right. When we read from Hebrew, it's going to be right to left. So I put up some cues to help you to do that. I promise. <laughs> I promise it'll help. We'll see. We'll see how you do. All right. Hero Israel, um, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right. And now for some Hebrew. <laughs> So this in Hebrew is Shema Israel, Shema. Remember, it's, yeah, good, good. You're already in it, good. And then we have, can you read that? <laughs> you will by the end of the year, I promise. You will be able to read this. Echad Adonai, Echad Eloheinu. Did I bounce it too far? Oh, I, I bounced back, sorry. <laughs> there you go. Can you see it now? Uh, one more back. One more there. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> there we go. Adonai, Eloheinu Adonai. So um, you can say this in a variety of ways. We'll memorize it, and you can memorize it in whatever translation you want. But I promise we will. You'll learn this. You'll love it. And there's actually a little bit more we're going to learn. So I just wanted to introduce you to it right here. All right. So the significance of, of this verse in particular um, is because in Hebrew tradition, well, not because, but it's so significant that in Hebrew tradition, they um, actually take the verse and they write it on a very small little piece of paper, the entire thing. Um, it's called the Shema. That's the one word that abbreviates this huge passage. But they take that verse and they actually write it on um, a little tiny piece of paper and they put it into a decorative item called a mezuzah. How many of you have heard of a mezuzah before? Okay. So this is actually a mezuzah at my house. How many of you have been to my house before? Right. You might have never even noticed. It's not the ring doorbell there. <laughs> it's what's above the ring right there. All right. 
Um, so sometimes the mezuzah is hung at a 45 degree angle instead of straight up because there's a tradition in rabbinic teaching that goes back. There was two rabbis arguing on how they should hang the mezuzah. The rabbis always do that. <laughs> should we hang it straight or we should lay it down and hang it flat? So they compromise and they put it at a 45 degree angle. So I just put it up straight and down. <laughs> but it depends on what, what tradition you come from in um, in in your Jewish rabbinic tradition, but it's um, the Ashkenazis, they, they put it at a little bit of an angle there. Um, so they take all of this passage from Deuteronomy chapter six and they write it on a little scroll. And so inside of that mezuzah in my own home is the scroll of that. I hand wrote that all out. Uh, I moved it from our home in Whittier when we lived there and I put it on the doorpost of our home um, here. So um, in that verse it says, take God's commands and impress them on your children. Talk about them while you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so they take that verse literally, wrap it up and, and put, it, put it right there. So as we move through this study, which is going to be pretty exciting, we are going to experience all of the feast days, all of the holy days that God blessed his people with. And you know how I love tying food into our Bible study. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of food this year. We're going to have a lot of food. And this is a food-rich Bible study. <laughs> so all of them. In the years past, we've done a, a little bit here and a little bit there. This year, it's literally all of it. So we get to do every single feast. Um, here is a bit of what that looks like. Uh, this entire page, it's too hard to see probably, but in your um, on, on the website, you'll be able to go get this entire um, handout there and you'll see there's more that I didn't include just because it's a little small to read but you know our, our calendar begins in January and the Hebrew calendar the religious Hebrew calendar begins um, in the month they call Nisan or Abib um, around April March or April um, they, they pray all the time the Shema that's it's prayed twice a day and then when they have different holidays and festivals like are shown up here, um, they also open up with the Shema and with special prayers that go from Passover to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a feast called um, Berakim, which is the Feast of First Fruits. That's in March or April. And then we have a feast called Shavuot, 49 days later. We have a feast called Rosh Hashanah. Have you heard of that one? Okay, that one's coming up. That's in September, so that's coming up. Yom Kippur will follow pretty closely after that. And then um, Sukkot, which will be September to April. Oh, let me pause. Let, let's see if I can get it to reconnect for us. It's always something. It's like every, every night. It's something last night, or something again tonight. It just is what it is. Okay, what we're going to see as we go through this is God's love for his people. That's us and how he established these wonderful feasts for us to enjoy. Um, we're gonna see from start to finish what it means to truly be saved and set apart, which is the title of this study. Because it's one thing to be saved, we're saved from something, but what are we saved for? And that's being set apart. How many of you are familiar with one or both of those movies? Okay. Well. We want to get our understanding from the Bible, not just from movies, obviously, <laughs> but by letting the word of Christ do what? Dwell. Good job. Dwell in us richly. And whether your ideas come from movies, which they can, 
but sometimes it can just also come from your misunderstanding as you're going through. We're going to try to replace some of those wrong ideas with the, with the right ones and get more in line with God's word, that we love God's word, we appreciate his word, how he's worked through um, all of history to bring us his love, to give us his salvation. And above everything else, our point is to know ourselves, right? No. What's our focus all the time? What does this teach me about God, right? Understanding God. So the four books that we're going to be studying through in this season, and this is a new thing for us because we normally just do one book. Last year we did two with First and Second Corinthians, but this year we're going to do four books, and they're going to be the four in the top ten of the most quoted books in all of the New Testament. What's the best commentary on the Old Testament? Yes. The New Testament is. And so we're going to begin with Exodus, and then we're going to move from there, but in chronological order. And so instead of going straight verse by verse, straight through from Exodus to the end of Deuteronomy, we're actually going to weave them together. So I've created an outline that blends the books together in a way that will help us to see how it all impacts and layers some of the repeated passages. Exodus was quoted in the New Testament 31 times. 31 times. Again, it's in the top 10. Psalms is the number one with, I think, 88. Um, Exodus is 31. Leviticus was quoted 13 times. Leviticus! <laughs> That's an incredible book because most people would never even pick it up and read it. Numbers gets a whopping three. We'll be wrapping up with Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is quoted 44 times in the New Testament. These books we should know and not be skipping over. Uh, it was from Deuteronomy that Jesus famously said, it is written, it is written, it is written, when he took down Satan and countered all of Satan's temptations. So we are going to be active and not just doing Bible study, but letting the word do what in us again? Well, Dwell in us richly. And that might mean rethinking or at least remembering um, how we do that. Um, when I was in elementary school, my dad was a pastor of a small church in Thousand Oaks, and I remember him up there uh, in that pulpit teaching away. He was so wise, so passionate. Um, I can really hear him as if it was today, saying, test everything against scripture, right? He wanted all of us to really know for ourselves the word, not just take his words for it, but to know the word. He wanted men to know the word, women and kids at the time like me and make that a priority and he challenged us every week to compare what he taught with the word of God and that gave me the foundation to make sure that we're doing the same that we hold each other accountable to God's word and not man's traditions um, not our favorite way of doing something but really what does God's word say so the foundation that I received from my dad really did give me the mission in my life I took that priority I took that mindset and Everything I've done, from going to school, teaching, different careers and paths I've taken, everything was shaped by that understanding to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly and to test everything with scripture. So that's what I want for us today. I want you to test everything against scripture as well. Well, years later, my father um, and I wrote this little song together um, based on the words from Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and he will teach you in song. I don't know if I've ever sung that before, but that was a little song that he and I wrote together, and that's a picture of him playing um, the guitar that day when, when we were doing that song together. That song, those words, that mindset, test everything against scripture, is why you're here today, reading and studying and coming together. Uh, doing this Bible study, dwelling together. 
And of course, that is the foundational scripture for all the Bible studies that we do and eventually how I write the Bible studies. 15 Bible studies, by the way, all together by now. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's tempting. We have a lot of needs. We have a lot of longings, um, a lot of seasons that can come and go that can leave us in hurt and wondering and questioning. And it's tempting to come to the Bible to really find ourselves and to find the fix that we're hoping for. And um, that's not altogether a bad thing. It isn't. That's a good thing. You do want the word. Yeah, that's, that's a good place to go. Um, it's a blessing that we're drawn into the word of God. We want that wisdom and the hope that we can find there. But we have to begin and we have to remember it's not about discovering ourselves first. We have to make our priority. All right, God, who are you? What is my misunderstanding about who you are? So please make knowing God your priority. I promise the West will come. Jesus himself said, seek first yourself. No. <laughs> oh, no, he said, follow your heart. <laughs> you are enough. No. What did he say? Seek first his kingdom. And then what? All of this is going to be added unto you. All the worries, all the cares, everything you want and need in your life to honor and glorify him, that's going to be added to you. So this is what it looks like for us as a community to come to Bible study together. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And remember, always, the Bible is not about discovering ourselves. It's about discovering who? God. And we find ourselves when we know God. When you get to that passage where you think, How? what? <laughs> that does not make any sense at all. Please, please be humble before God and say, you put it in your word for a reason, God. I, don't, I might not get it right now, but it's here to help me understand who you have been and are today. And we're going to do that together in a community. So together, we are, and you, this is familiar to you. We do this every time we come together. Together we are, and would you read this with me? Women who enthusiastically and intentionally dwell in the word and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And so for me, that means I am a woman who enthusiastically and intentionally dwells in the word. Let's say that together now. You make that personal. I am a woman who enthusiastically and intentionally dwells in the word. So, oh, and I let the word of Christ dwell in, in me richly. Don't forget that part. It's really important. Right? I don't just do. I don't just do Bible study. Right? I don't just get it done like it's a, another chore. It, it, it might be on some days, but you will approach it with that enthusiastic intention of letting it dwell in you. All right, so as a result, with that mindset, what do we do? Well, we point one another toward God for wisdom and hope. So when we come to each other in a trust relationship and friendship that we've developed here, and you are face-to-face -face with someone who's struggling, who's sad, or who's angry and dealing with a difficult relationship, you will point her to God for wisdom and hope because it will be tempting to give her your worldly advice or, or default back to maybe little ideas you've had. But if it's not rooted in God's word, we, we don't want that. We want God's word to just come out of our mouths, right? To bless and encourage one another. Um, so we're going to support one another in our challenges, and we're going to support one another in our blessings. We're going to be a group of women identified by that. We're going to give, um, we're going to share our strengths, and we're going to share, <laughs> mosquito, we're going to give our strengths 
and we're going to share our weaknesses. And this is a, this is particularly a special thing for me to encourage you in because how many of you have ever felt like I can't, I'm not, it's not easy for me that you feel like this is a weakness for you. This is when we should be coming together as women and saying, it's okay. Bring our strengths together, bring our weaknesses even together and bless each other in both of those. Um, we're going to provide encouragement and fun <laughs> and friendship. I always like to say that we have fun and we learn a ton in this Bible study. But we don't just learn a ton, we have fun, right? Yes. Things that you have fun doing, you tend to remember more. So that's why we try to be multi-sensory in the way that we engage together. That's why I love having food at Bible study, like going through the passages, finding foods. Um, that's why we do create and share in part as well. We have fun. All right. So we have some expectations as a result of that. We expect Bible-based studies and teaching. Mm -hmm. If you ever see me up here giving you something else besides God's word, that doesn't hit the mark. That's not, that's not, we can go to a social club and get that. This is, this is where we come together centered around God's word. And so we expect that. And uh, no matter where you're attending church, if you're attending a fellowship here, if you're on the hall over there or elsewhere, that's what you will learn to want from that teacher, that, that pastor, that leader. And your thirst for that is not going to be satisfied by anything else, right? Because I'm praying specifically for that, mm -hmm. you know? So we don't hunger and thirst after devotionals. We hunger and thirst after righteousness and God's word. That's what we want. That's the meat. And that's what we, we're going to expect. We're expecting faith-building Bible study, not worldly solutions and little motivational quotes. I love some good motivational quotes. There's some really good ones out there. But... I, and from Christian authors, but I've just learned in the past, I, I, they will fall short. And darn, if you quote somebody and then they end up deconstructing their faith or something terrible, you know, something awful happens and you're like, ooh, I don't want to recommend you to anybody else anymore. So I've just really learned to try to trim that. And, and unless the book is closed on their life and, you know, God, you know, God bless them, Corey Tim Boom or something like that, that it's like finished well, you know, C.S. Lewis, different things like that, people who you might want to quote. But we're going to avoid that as much as possible and stick to God's word. Um, again, have fun. <laughs> We're going to enjoy God's word, true joy, having fun together, dwelling in it, and learn a ton, like I've said. And also, this is a curious one to some people, but it's okay to get stuck. <laughs> it's okay to get stuck. We kind of expect it. I, and that's why I put it over here on the expectations. I, I, I definitely get stuck when I'm trying to study and then bring it together and make sure I'm presenting good in a good way to everybody. So it's okay to be stuck. Um, we, we're, God left his people. Jesus left his own disciples in the I don't know, right? And they didn't always get all the answers. It's okay to work through that and trust God in the process. And so we're going to expect to just grow. Grow from who we are today so we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's it. Trust him and be gracious with ourselves, right? Can we say that? Be gracious with ourselves. So here, know two things. Number one. You have an advocate. Yay! <laughs> you have Jesus himself, right? The author of creation praying for you. Imagine that. It's pretty amazing when you think about it, really, right? And it's true. You are doing a good thing by being in God's word. Staying faithful and focused isn't always going to be easy. So right here, right now, tonight, think about how cool it is that Jesus is advocating for you right? Cheering you on, making a way for you to do well in this venture ahead. And number two, yeah, I have an enemy. <laughs> you have an enemy. Um, it's discouraging if you forget 
but Satan's like a roaring lion and he's prowling. He's looking around to try to devour. And uh, he's whispering in your ear, especially when your threshold is really low and you're emotionally weak and you're discouraged and your clock is full of other things to be doing. You have an enemy who wants to keep you discouraged. That's why it's so important for us to connect with one another and to support each other. So with these things in mind, we've got some practical tips to make sure that you can be successful in this study. Number one, pray and partner. They all start with P if you like similes. Um, partner, uh, plan, and prioritize. All right, pray. So get armored up. Put on the full armor of God and tell God with expectation that you want his blessing. You're anticipating his blessing as you schedule, as you study, as you think, right? And getting into his word. What is a prayer that God's always going to answer with yes? Something Help me know your word, <laughs> right? Go to him. Tell God that you want his blessing on your schedule. He will answer you with a yes. If you want to hear more yeses from God, pray in keeping with his word, that you would let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Next is partner. Um, we're going to connect um, with people right here. You're going to connect with the Lord in prayer, and you're going to connect with each other in our group. We're going to encourage, and we're going to be encouraged by each, each other. Send texts. Make phone calls. Um, engage in the, in the app group that we have. Get a study buddy, someone that you can meet. It's one of the reasons why we don't meet every single week. So we have this week and then next, you know, 14 days. And in that time, this is a great time to do Bible study with someone else or just go have a play date with someone else and fellowship with somebody else, but encourage each other. Next is plan. I mean, you didn't just show up and announce to your last dentist appointment probably, right? You didn't just miraculously find that date with a friend and your car probably just didn't magically repair itself in the driveway nice. while you were sleeping. <laughs> I would really like that. I agree. That would be very nice, right? You saw a need and you made time to make sure that it all happened. So plan now for the time that you're going to spend in Bible study. It's not going to just happen. You can't keep on adding things into your life's busy schedule like you're Imelda Marcos adding shoes to a closet. Some of you will not get that reference, but you don't have all that space. You have to make a plan. It's not going to just happen. Make an appointment with yourself. You're a priority. When someone says, hey, let's get together, look at your calendar and say, oh, I can't, I already have an appointment. Oh, what are you doing? I have an appointment. <laughs> or, or it's Bible study, whatever you want to say. But I call this twig time. This is time with God, T-W-I-G, T-W-I-D, twig time. And uh, if you were here in Bible study a few summers ago, I actually did this visual and I gave everybody a twig. You're welcome to go out and get a twig off of a branch if you want <laughs> and hold that, stick it in your Bible for a bookmark. This is my twig time and have that as a little reminder. This is my time with God, my, my twig time. And of course, you'll have a study buddy to connect with as well. All right, next is prioritize, all right? probably brush your teeth today. Why? Because you value them. You don't want to lose them. I, hope you, I don't know. Maybe you did. <laughs> I don't know. You've got good teeth. All right. But prioritize. Um, we, we make time for what we value. If you're not making time for the Bible, you're not valuing it. All right. There's no way to argue about that. There's, it's, it's your, your default mode is what you end up having the highest prioritize in value. So, um, you know, Think about your personal best time to do things. Set yourself up for success in this and be exclusive about it. There's no reason to be, it would be like if you're sitting down with your bestie best friend and then you're on the phone talking to somebody else. That's not exclusivity. So give yourself space to be exclusive with Jesus and have that time um, together with him. All right. 
Okay, we're gonna review eisegesis and exegesis. I've talked, I try to talk about this every year at the beginning to give us a running start. And I also try to find new scriptural uh, verses to help teach it. And I taught a, a couple, a new verse last year and I'm teaching a new verse again um, this year. So eisegesis, and you can see the sad faces there. And, uh, or exegesis, and you can see the happy. So the, that's your clue. We're doing one, we're not doing the other. Um, but we have a tendency um, to do the eisegeting, and we're gonna talk about what that ends up looking like. Um, eisegesis is going into the word and bringing, um, putting ourselves into it and getting our life into that. Exegeting is bringing it out, what it was originally intended for the original audience. So eisegeting, it can happen when we bring our denominational understandings. doesn't matter what faith tradition you are raised in or even this one right now. That's not God's word. That's just how we're doing life together in the church. That's not God's word. So we have to be careful about our denominations. Your personality and your preferences, you might have strong feelings about something um, and prefer how things should be. And then if you see something that doesn't quite line up with that in the word, we might have a tendency to think, I couldn't mean that, you know, because it's how I would do it. Mm. <laughs> but we have to make sure we, it wasn't about me though. And then we have our own culture. We're, the Bible was written, you know, 5,000 plus years ago over a period of, of time. And it wasn't even in America, obviously. And so it's a completely different culture, a completely different time. So we have to be careful not to bring our culture and time and put it into the Bible. We need to bring out what it was intended to be there. Exegesis is listening to what's actually in the word. You pray and you wait. You don't just jump in there with your own ideas, but you listen and think as you're going through. You look, you observe, you interpret, and you connect as you're going through the word as well. And then you live. And we, we kind of like to jump to this live part, the application part. Because uh, that's the fun one. I could take it and go somewhere and do something and I apply it to my life. And we, if we skip over the other, we might miss some important things. So let me give you a, an example of what that might look like. Um, Revelations 3, 15 to 16. John's talking to a church in a city called Laodicea. It's in modern day Turkey, just to help you picture it on a map. Um, in, in those verses, he uses the words hot and cold and lukewarm. Maybe you're familiar already with this verse. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, uh, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Um, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. All right, so eisegete or exegete. Let's work it through and make sure we're doing it correctly. Um, what does it mean in this passage to be hot, to be cold, and to be lukewarm? Because that's the key that he's talking about to the church here. In eisegeting, uh, we would put our understanding today in modern America, uh, as women here, of what cold and hot and lukewarm mean to us today. In our time, if I say someone's hot or on fire even, they, I think maybe in a spiritual sense they're on fire for the Lord. They're hot. You know, good job, right? And um, they might be really active in their faith and they're doing well. That someone is on fire, right? How many of you have used that phrase before? That's what we, we, how we refer to people these days. So if someone's cold, we might think of them, they're, they're inactive, they're not doing much, they're frigid. Um, and lukewarm, since it's somewhere between hot and cold, we might understand lukewarm to be someone who's just kind of going through the motions, lukewarm, right? If we're talking about their faith, it's someone who isn't really committed to God, or lukewarm, um, someone who isn't on fire for the Lord, or someone who's totally cold to God and their faith. We might want to pray for the cold person 
And like we want to be like the on fire person, but we don't we don't want to ourselves be the lukewarm person. <clears throat> All right, so that might be eisegeting our way through that passage. But if we exegete this, we have to begin with John, who wrote it. We have to begin with his audience. Remember, the Bible wasn't written to you. It was written for you, but not to you. So this passage wasn't written, or obviously, to us. Yes, it's us now. But uh, we need to think about John. We need to think about his audience and the time that they lived and what those metaphors, those words, and those phrases would have meant, and they would have picked up on it right away. Well, John, again, wrote this passage, like I mentioned, to a bunch of people at a church in Laodicea, modern-day Turkey. How would those people have thought about the words hot, cold, or lukewarm? warm what would have been in their mind what does jesus mean by rejecting lukewarm laodiceans and um why would he why would he actually end up saying i wish you were either one or the other if cold to us is bad why would he even say about i wish you would be cold and hot's the good one to us because we're on fire why would he say i wish you were one or the other it's the lukewarm he's spitting it out we have to think like a Laodicean. We have to get back. That's exegening, right? That's the good one. Let's do that then. So in the time that Paul was writing these words of Jesus, chilled and warm wine were served at gatherings. If you were being a gracious host, you would serve chilled wine or you would serve warm wine, all right? When a guest arrived, the host might offer him wine that had been chilled in snow. What a luxury, right? or wine that had been mixed with warmed water or had been warmed in some way. So if you were offered lukewarm wine, that would be an insult to the guest. And then you would spit it out of your mouth because you're expecting a gracious host to provide chilled wine or provide warm wine, not an ineffective host. You couldn't care less about his guests and just meh, put it out lukewarm, right? Okay, so he's saying these people aren't offering the good hot or the good drink. It's not that cold is the bad one like we associate with in our time, right? He's saying they're lukewarm. It's an unpleasant experience, and that's when you would spit it out. And this entire passage actually is a reference to this banquet and Jesus as being the guest. So it fits. It's a banquet scene that he's creating in their mind. And he's saying the Laodiceans wouldn't have welcomed Jesus as an honored guest, cold wine, warm wine, right? That's what this message is talking about, cold or warm, all right? So can we get, though, a meaning from today? Can we kind of like, oh, I can see that, meaning about Jesus, being on fire for Jesus? Isn't that a true thing to say? Shouldn't we be on fire for Jesus? It's not that that's wrong. We should be on fire for Jesus, amen? Yeah. Absolutely. But that's, this is not the passage we're going to use to teach that. This does, that's not what this means. Well, well, there's plenty of other passages to go to. So we, we'll be careful that we don't eisegete and we exegete our scripture. And before we start saying things, we'll think, huh, is that what it means to me? Or is that really what it meant to them? Let me, be, let me make sure. And then we'll, be, we'll tighten our theology. We'll get a little more accurate in how we talk. So remember, God's word was not written, what? To you, but God's word was written for you. Amen. We're so thankful for that, right? So how are we going to get there together? Well, we're going to read it all in context. We're going to read the when did it happen, where, like I just did in this passage, who and why it was being written. That's all the things that we think about as we're going to a passage. Um, we're going to have a flyover approach and then um, a drive-through approach. Um, the, this lesson coming up that you're going to be doing 
is, um, in fact, you can turn on page 11 if you want to see. Um, it's just going to be reading and getting a big overview of everything we're going to be covering from now until the end of this um, this first semester, whatever you want to call it, this first por portion of our study together. Um, again, like I was saying before, this study is different because we're going to go through Exodus through Deuteronomy and getting for us from Egypt right to the edge of the Jordan River. From, it's going to take us from mountain to mountain, from Mount Sinai to Mount Nebo, from the death of Joseph essentially to the death of Moses. And there's a lot to cover in all of that. So instead of just starting off bang and digging in, looking at it with a magnifying glass right away because we're excited to study, we are going to fly over. We're going to get the big picture of where we're going first. So each lesson is going to actually begin in the same way. And each lesson is an invitation to each of you to think in the long term and not in the quick fix like Jesus did. He left people in the I don't know. So we're going to pray. Each lesson will begin with that. You're going to see this blank space at the top of a lesson, and you're going to want to fill it in because you know your Bible verse goes there, but I'm going to encourage you to go down to number one where it says pray. Do that first. Then it'll say memorize and meditate, and you'll memorize a verse and meditate on each. Um, the Shema is our first verse of the year. Then you're going to read and then do some study. We are going to write. <laughs> We had someone asked me in leaders meeting, are we going to write Exodus through Deuteronomy? And no, we're going to write portions as we go. Not the whole thing. We do a write the word thing in this Bible study, but we're not going to write the whole thing. Uh, and then we do uh, the create and share. All right. We're going to trust the process. Right. And offering a Bible study like this is like offering a chance to go to an all you can eat buffet. Right. That's how I see myself, like a chef presenting an all you can eat buffet for you. Maybe you've even been to a buffet like this before on a cruise ship. Have you ever been to a, one of those incredible cruise ship buffets? Oh, we got, maybe we got to plan that. Maybe that's our, that's our big field trip this year, right? Midnight, get all you want. Maybe you've seen buffets look like this. All right, so ours, this study is going to be uh, like a buffet. I'm going to present all you can eat, all right? And uh, you, can, you can take it all in. And coming to every grace group, every session, every teaching time. You can go home and study. You can pray and you can memorize. You can meditate. You can read. You can write. You can answer every question. You can do the create. You can do the sharing, what you're learning. But remember, listen, ladies, this is a buffet, all right? Sometimes all you can do is snack, <laughs> right? Maybe you eat a little sandwich. Maybe you pick some mac and cheese up on the side, right? Some people might return to their table with a plate full, embarrassingly overflowing. That would be me. <laughs> uh, some people might just return to their plate with a delicate little morsel. <laughs> Oh, such self-control. <laughs> when you look over what is offered at a buffet, you might see a lot of your favorites, maybe foods that were prepared exactly as you want them and like them. You might also see foods you would normally like, but someone stuck a sauce on it that you don't like, right? Or you can't eat it, so you skip those portions and you just take what you can get. Take as much as you want. Return for something else if you want it. The point is, come, eat, take what you can. There's a lesson, there's a reason why the very first thing God commanded his people to do is feast. The first thing, right? Feast. There's a reason why food and gathering is so important that it's literally embedded in every ordinance God declared for his people. The Bible is God's food for you, right? Come and eat, snack or feast. But Come, <laughs> you are going to see that every lesson is going to give you a way to taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Good. So look at the menu options for each lesson and 
work it through in the way that works best for you. The Dwelling Richly Bible Study over the course of the study is going to give you 10 days over two weeks. Day one, you're here. Ta-da! That's it. That's today. It's time to come, to connect, and grow. And day two is, well, that's the flyover day. And we're going to spend an entire, our, this entire lesson doing that flyover day. Um, book four, chronological order of, of it, um, of the four books. By the way, I brought my chronological New Living Translation Bible. It's a great study Bible. If you'd like to get one, I recommend it. You can get them online as well. You can page through that tonight if you want to look it over. Um, oh, I also have front and back covers for your notebooks. So if you would, if you like putting your lesson in a three-ring binder, I have these for you in the back so you can get those. Um, days three uh, through nine are the drive-through. So we do the flyover on day two and get a big overview. And then on days three through nine, we just kind of cruise and drive through the scriptures together. That's when we read and engage in it. Um, day 10 is when we go. All right. That's our create and share time. And so that's what we're going to do as we love the Lord, our God. Will you say this with me? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Right. This is my invitation that you dwell. Don't do Bible study. It's an invitation to you to love God's word, right? Because loving his word is loving Jesus, loving him with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. Let's pray.